So our reading is Nehemiah chapter 3. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakor, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its bolt doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakoz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshullam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Barna, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. The Jeshana gate was repaired by Joyada, son of Pasea, and Meshullam, son of Besodea. They laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah, Malatia of Gibeon and Jadon of Merinoth, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Uzael, son of Hahiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Rephiah, son of Hur, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Jediah, son of Harumapath, made repairs opposite his house. And Hattush, son of Hashabaneah, made repairs next to him. Malkijah, son of Harim and Hashab, son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section and the Tower of the Ovens. Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. The Valley Gate was repaired by Hanun and the residents of Zanoah. They rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. They also repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the Dung Gate. The Dung Gate was repaired by Malkijar, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim. He rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. The Fountain Gate was repaired by Shalom, son of Kol Hose, ruler of the district of Mizpah. He rebuilt it, roofing it over and putting its doors and bolts and bars in place. He also repaired the wall of the pool of Siloam by the king's garden, as far as the steps going down from the city of David. Beyond him, Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, ruler of a half-district of Bethzur, made repairs up to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and the house of the heroes. Next to him, the repairs were made by the Levites under Rehum, son of Bani. Beside him, Hashabiah, ruler of half the district of Kela, carried out repairs for his district. Next to him, the repairs were made by their fellow Levites under Binwi, son of Henadad, ruler of the other half district of Kela. Next to him, Ezer, son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, prepared another section from a point facing the ascent to the armory as far as the angle of the wall. Next to him, Baruch, son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section, from the angle to the entrance of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. Next to him, Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakoz, repaired another section, from the entrance of Eliashib's house to the end of it. The repairs next to him were made by the priests from the surrounding region. Beyond them, Benjamin and Hasub made repairs in front of their house, and next to them, 
Azariah, son of Marseah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his house. Next to him, Binui, son of Henadad, repaired another section, from Azariah's house to the angle and the corner. And Palal, son of Uzai, worked opposite the angle and the tower, projecting from the upper palace near the court of the guard. Next to him, Pediah, son of Perosh, and the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel, made repairs up to a point opposite the water gate, toward the east and the projecting tower. Next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section, from the great projecting tower to the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. Next to them, Zadok, son of Imer, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him, Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, the guard at the east gate, made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. Next to them, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, made repairs opposite his living quarters. Next to him, Malkijah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants, opposite the inspection gate, and as far as the room above the corner. And between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. Let's pray as we start. Lord God, all scripture is breathed out by you and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. As I speak this morning, would you teach and rebuke and correct and train us through your word so that we would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen. Amen. Well, if the book of Nehemiah was a film, then the passage we just had read for us would be the end credits, except in the middle of the book rather than at the end. Nehemiah tells the story of how, in the face of much opposition, the defensive wall surrounding Jerusalem was rebuilt in the year 445 BC, about 140 years after the Babylonians had destroyed it. And it's in this chapter we just get basically a list of the people who worked on various different sections of the wall and the various gates. So here we have... There we go. A picture of what the finished wall might have looked like. Um, And probably can't read the various headings here, but we have where the locations of these various gates are. So in verse 1 of Nehemiah 3, we see the sheep gate. That's up in the top right-hand corner, around where the temple would be. And as we go through the passage, we just move anti-clockwise around the wall until if you look at the, the final verse of the chapter, verse 32, we're back at the sheep gate again. We just walk, move around, and you can imagine if this was a film, the credits rolling, we have each gate, each little bit of wall, and the people who worked on each section. Now, I don't know about you, but most of the time when I watch a film, I'll turn it off when the credits start. Or if it's a Marvel film, and I know there's an end credit scene, I'll fast forward to get to that bit. But generally, I'm not interested in the credits. I'm interested in the action. I think there's only been one time I can think of that that wasn't the case. A few years ago, Saoirse and I were invited to go to the cast and crew screening of a major blockbuster, where the cast and crew would invite all their family and friends to go and see the film before it came out in cinemas. And when the credits started rolling for that film, not a single person left their seats. Instead, everyone leaned in, anxiously reading every single name that came up, excited to see their names and the names of their friends and family as they rolled up the screen. And often cheers would go up and there would be huge applause as everyone looked around, encouraging each other. 
So today, instead of skipping over these credits, we're going to lean in like in that cinema. We may not currently know these people, but they are God's people, just as we are if we're trusting in Jesus. They're part of God's kingdom, part of these great, this great cloud of witnesses whose faithful service we can learn from today as we seek to live for Jesus. They were servants of God working for him to help build his kingdom, God's building company. And we too, if we're trusting Jesus, are part of that same building company. Now, for the people in this passage, building God's kingdom meant literally laying stones one on top of the other. That was before Jesus had come, when God's kingdom was a physical place in the land of Judah. For us living now, after Jesus has already died, risen, and gone back to heaven, God's people, God's kingdom is the church, the global body of people who believe and trust in Jesus as their saviour. And the Apostle Peter describes the church, describes Christians as living stones who are being built into a spiritual house on the foundation of Jesus, the cornerstone. And so our building project is the most important building project of all time. One day, Jesus will return, and in his judgment, everything other than the church, this spiritual building, everything not built on the foundation of Jesus will be demolished. So like the people in this passage, we need to get to work to build God's kingdom. Whoever we are and whatever it is we do, we need to serve and encourage and teach and love and bring others in and worship. So this morning, rather than focusing on the action of Nehemiah's story, we're going to lean into this credit sequence to see what these ancient builders of God's kingdom can teach us present-day builders of God's kingdom. And we're going to think about three ways uh, we can go about our building project from this passage. So number one, give God the glory. Now, I don't know how many of you have seen the TV show The Choir. Oh, there we go. But in it, the choir master, Gareth Malone, that's him, gathers up a bunch of people who have never sung before and tirelessly works to make them into a performing choir. And by the last episode of each season, each series, you hear these previously tone-deaf people who could never have imagined being in a choir, singing beautifully in harmony together. It's a beautiful thing to watch. But however amazing the choir sounds, all the credit goes to Gareth Malone, doesn't it? He's the hero of the show. Without him, these people would never in a million years be able to do what they had done. He gets the glory. And the singers give it to him. They know it's all down to him. And they're always incredibly grateful to him. And in the the final episode of each series, they're often in tears as they thank him for what he's been able to do through them. And we see something similar going on here in this passage. The situation these builders face is dire. The wall of Jerusalem is in ruins. The gates are piles of ash. And if you were to look around at those doing the building you wouldn't hold out much hope that the wall was going to get built. As we read through the passage, you see all these sorts of people who don't make natural builders. In verse 1, we have the high priest and his fellow priests. Verse 8, Uziel, a goldsmith, and Hananiah, a perfume maker. In verse 12, uh, we've got uh, this guy called Shalom, 
repairing the next section of the wall with the help of his daughters, various other groups and individuals. In verse 17, some Levites. 22, we've got more priests. Verse 26, some temple servants. Verse 28, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, 31 and 32, we've got more merchants and some, some more goldsmiths as well. And then 32 as well, goldsmiths and merchants once more. This is not a crack team of experienced professional builders. Some of them are probably skilled, educated people, but not up to the task of clearing rubble and laying stones around, hauling stones around, laying them on top of each other. From the outside, this group of builders would have looked laughable. And we'll see next Sunday, Nehemiah's enemies did laugh at them. I'll say in chapter 4, what are those feeble Jews doing? But these people knew that if they were to be successful, it wasn't going to be down to them or their abilities or strength or intelligence, but down to their God. Look back to the final verse of chapter 2 of Nehemiah 2, verse 20. What does Nehemiah say on behalf of the people? Our strength will give us success. Our superior organizational skills will give us success. No, the God of heaven will give us success. These builders knew that as Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless God makes it happen, it's not going to happen. And if God does want it to happen, then however weak and feeble his people might look to the outside world, you can be sure that it is going to happen. So as they start the building work in chapter 3, verse 1, we learn that the priests, the religious leaders, dedicated the first gate and the bit of the wall to be built, symbolically dedicating the whole building task as they start off. That means they held a ceremony to dedicate the wall to God, to worship him and thank him and say, God, this is all for you and because of you, on the foundation of your strength, for your glory and not ours. They knew that the only way they were going to be able to get this building work done was if God built it through them. So they start the work by dedicating it to him. They give him the glory. He's the amazing one, not them. And it's the same for us now as we set about building God's church. Uh, let's see what Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called when you first put your faith in Jesus. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him, because of God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So, as we work together to build God's kingdom today, just like Nehemiah and the builders of his wall, we must remember that it is God who's making it happen, not us. 
We shouldn't look at ourselves and boast, thinking, you know, God's lucky to have us on his building team. We're competent builders. And on the other side of things, we, shouldn't need, we don't need to look at ourselves and think, why would God possibly want me? How could he possibly use me? I'm weak and feeble. No, the only reason any of us are able to do anything good is because God has decided to work through us. The only reason any of us are on his team in the first place is because Jesus died to pay the debt that we weren't able to. We wouldn't even turn to him and ask for his forgiveness had he not pulled us out of darkness and opened our eyes. So as a church and as individuals, whatever task we're setting about to do to build God's kingdom, whether that's volunteering with a particular church group or talking to our friends or family about Jesus or giving our time and money to serve the church, dedicate it all to the Lord. And if we see success in whatever it is we set out to do, Let's not sit back and feel smug at how brilliant we are. But like Gareth Malone's choirs, rejoicing and praising their choir master for what he accomplished through them, giving him all the glory, let's give God the glory, dedicating all we do to him, like these builders in our passage, knowing it's only through him that feeble, sinful people like us can build his kingdom at all. So give God the glory. Number two, serve sacrificially. Well, can you picture the scene as the building work was about to start? The walls of Jerusalem in utter ruins, the rubble piled high, and you, a well-to-do perfume maker, are standing there in your nice clean clothes among some other respectable middle-class people. There's some goldsmiths over there, some merchants over here, even some members of the aristocracy. And you've been summoned by this guy called Nehemiah who works for the government, and you're all a bit confused as to what he wants with you. And then Nehemiah says... I need your help to build the wall. How do you think you would have reacted? I imagine at the time there would have been a lot of people keeping their heads down, trying not to catch Nehemiah's eye. Maybe others would be looking around at the more hardy folk, the the farmers and the labourers, waiting for them to volunteer. Surely you can't mean me. I'm a respectable perfume maker. Or I'm a member of the nobility. I can't surely stoop to that level. And then Nehemiah says, but it's for God's kingdom. It's in ruins. And I imagine some of them might have said, well, that doesn't affect me, actually. I I don't need a wall to run a perfume business. If I help you build this wall, actually, I'll, I'll lose business. I can't trade if I'm building. Or maybe others were thinking, what will my neighbors think of me if I give up my high paying job? to come and do manual labor. Well, if you look down at verse 5, we see that some people did react like that. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, that's a city in Judah, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. These nobles thought they were far too important to do manual labor. They didn't care whether God's kingdom was in ruins, they were not prepared to stoop down and serve. But then throughout the passage, we see a number of people reacting very differently, don't we? We've already seen, verse 1, we have the, the priests and his, the high priest and his fellow priests, very important people, rolling up their sleeves and getting to work. Verse 8, this goldsmith, Uziel, and the perfume maker, Hananiah, skilled artisans, but not laborers. 
rolling up their sleeves and going to work on the wall. We, we've got a number of people uh, called rulers of various districts here. The ESV has a note that says that rulers could also be translated as foremen, and for a number of reasons, I think that's a better translation. Um, I'm happy to talk to you about that after the service, but we, these probably aren't rulers of districts here, but we do get m many other people giving up time and money and reputation to stoop down and work. Verse 22, 28 as well, we, uh, 20, yeah, various verses, we've got more priests, don't we? And then we're told a number of people repaired more than they needed. If you look down at verse 11, Malchiah, son of Harim, and Hasub, son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section, another section. And then in verse 19, Ezar, son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, or the, the foreman of Mizpah, repaired another section. And a bunch of times we get that phrase. Verse 20, Baruch, son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section. And then look, verse 27, these men of Tekoa, whose nobles wouldn't put their shoulders to the work, repairing another section, over and above the section they built to start with. All these people stooped to the task of building the wall, even though for many of them, you might have thought it was beneath them. It would have been very much out of their comfort zone. It would likely involve facing ridicule from their peers. It would have meant sacrificing their time and losing out on money but they set to it wholeheartedly. And how could they do that? Well, it's the same reason they could give God the glory rather than themselves. If we look back to that final verse of chapter 2, what does Nehemiah say? The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. Nehemiah and the rest of the Jews trusted in God. They knew he would give them success. And so they submitted to him as servants, to serve sacrificially, prepared to do whatever it took for the sake of God's kingdom, however unglamorous and however costly. So let's be willing to give up our time, our money, our social standing too, to be more like these goldsmiths and perfume makers, or Baruch, the son of Zabai, who zealously repaired another section, and less like the nobles of Tekoa. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew Chapter 6, verse 31 to 33. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? All questions Nehemiah's builders might have asked when he asked them to build the wall. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If God's in control of all things and will one day bring us to live with him forever, then we don't need to worry about material things that we can't take with us. But instead, we can live for God and his glory and his kingdom with everything we've got, serving him and his people, trusting that he will provide us with everything we need. Now, for some of you, depending on what's going on in your life at the moment, it might not be the right time to think about taking anything else on or sacrificing more time or more money. And you just need to rest in God, trusting that he's in control. But for others, maybe it is a good time to think and pray about whether there's a need in the church that God has put before you. An area where volunteers are needed, perhaps, however unrelated the task may seem to your particular skill set, that you could sacrifice your time and energy to serve in. 
Or maybe if you're financially able to, could you give more than you already do financially? Even perhaps if it means living a less comfortable life than you do at the moment. Or maybe there's someone you know who doesn't yet know Jesus. Could you be bold and start up a conversation with them? Or invite them to church or home group or Christianity Explored? Even if it means risking embarrassment. Or for some, maybe God is putting it on your heart to sacrifice even more. To do what people like Chris or Sam and Hannah or Katie have done, our mission partners. And go into full-time Christian ministry. Whatever social or financial security that means giving up. As we build the kingdom, let's not be half-hearted, lukewarm Christians, only serving in a way that's easy, in a way that fits around everything else in our life, making the church more like a social club than the kingdom of the living God. Let's go all out, like the people in this passage, to serve God zealously and serve him sacrificially. So finally, work as one. Well, aside from the nobles of Tekoa who wouldn't put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors, this passage gives us a beautiful picture of God's people working together as one. Did you notice as we um, had Natalie read for us, this phrase next to him or next to them kept popping up. Look down, for example, at verse 17. Next to him, the repairs were made by the Levites uh, uh, under Rahum, son of Barney. Beside him, Hashabiah. Uh, carried out repairs. Verse 18, next to him the repairs were made by their fellow Levites. Verse 19, next to him, Ezer, son of Joshua. Verse 20, next to him, Baruch, son of Barney. Zabai, sorry. 21, next to him, next to him, next to him. That phrase appears 22 times in this passage. And you can imagine all these people, can't you, working on their particular section of the wall, looking down the line and seeing the next group and the next group and the next group, all working together, maybe all singing psalms like Psalm 127. It's like seeing that cinema that Saoirse and I went to, filled with the cast and crew and all their families, cheering each other on, all seeing their individual bits that they put together to make the film work. Or Gareth Malone's choir, all singing their harmonies, coming together to make something sounding beautiful. All of them worked together as one. But that didn't mean that they all had the same job. Each of them had a different part of the wall to build. And if everyone had said, well, I want to build the fancy sheep gate by the temple, Or if everyone had said, I don't fancy building the dung gate, then the wall would have gaps in it, wouldn't it? And it would be completely useless as a defensive wall. For these people to work together, they had different tasks to do. For some of them, that meant building the section of the wall in front of their particular house. Look down at uh, verse 28, for example. Um, The priests making repairs, each in front of his own house. And verse 29, Zadok, son of Immer, made repairs opposite his house. And for others, that meant traveling in from various other regions of the kingdom um, to work. So we've already seen the men of Tekoa, we get some men of Jericho, and various other towns and cities, people coming in to work on the wall of Jerusalem. And for us, as we seek to work together to build God's kingdom today, that's going to look different for different people. If everyone decided to give up their jobs and become a pastor, then, well, one, Christchurch Bulldog would cease to exist. And two, we'd end up with gaps on the wall, wouldn't we? God builds his kingdom partly by placing his builders in all sorts of jobs and locations to serve him where they are with the gifts that God has given them. 
to give glory to him and to serve sacrificially in the parts of the wall near their house, so to speak. But equally, if no one ever decided to leave their jobs to take up full-time Christian ministry or to start churches or move to foreign countries to spread the gospel, then the wall would be left in ruins. To work as one, when you're building a wall, everyone has to build a different section. And 1 Corinthians 12, Paul gives us a beautiful picture of what that looks like. There we go. He describes the church as one body with different parts that all work together, each vitally important. In verse 17 he says, If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And working together as one body, like this, just as the rulers, so the builders of Jerusalem's wall did, flows out of these previous two points. If we're trusting in God and giving him all the glory, then we don't then it won't matter if another member of God's building team has a particularly glamorous job or a particularly impressive job. We can look at them and just praise God for what he's doing in their lives. We can cheer them on in encouragement, just like in that cinema. And if we're serving sacrificially, not caring about our own interests, but being prepared to do whatever's needed for the sake of God's kingdom, then we'll be prepared to do whatever work God has put in front of us, whatever section of the wall is right there or to seek out sections of the wall that haven't yet been built. Well, one day, Jesus will return, and his kingdom will come in all its fullness, and his people will live with him forever. But until that day comes, as we wait for Jesus' return, building his kingdom together, let's build like these ancient builders of Jerusalem's wall. Let's give God the glory in all we do, knowing that unless he builds the house, we labour in vain. Let's serve sacrificially, trusting God to provide for us and doing whatever it is we can for his kingdom. And let's work together as one wherever God has placed us or wherever we feel him calling us. I'm going to pray now and then we're going to sing together a beautiful song that encourages us to boast only in Jesus and his death and to live a life of service to him and to his glory. Lord God, Unless you build the house, the builders labour in vain. Without you calling us out of darkness, we would not be your people. We would not be part of your kingdom. And unless we work with the strength you provide on the foundation of Jesus' death on the cross, the cornerstone, anything we build is worthless. Would you build us, Lord, as living stones into a spiritual house? that we would declare your praises, serving together as one body, giving you all the glory. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.